Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Sapchat podcast. I'm your host, Jaron Main. Now today is a very special podcast indeed. It's the first one that I've actually recorded physically face-to-face. Um, now, my guest today needs no introduction whatsoever. Uh, she is the lovely Chris Chittick, uh, owner, founder of Pivot uh, Consulting, uh, a well-known SAP consulting practice in the UK. Uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. No, it's absolutely delighted to, to have you here. Now, when I were talking to my guests, normally I get them to send me an email with a kind of brief overview of their kind of their world, their, their foray into uh, SAP. And I was absolutely astounded because effectively what you said was, yeah, it started off in sales in 3M, uh, moved then to HP. Yep. And then nonchalantly, uh, one day uh, I get a phone call from Hasso. That's right, that's right. So give me the background, because that's just absolutely amazing. (laughs) It's true. Um, Basically, when I was at 3M, which was an amazing company to work for, brilliant, brilliant multinational, um, very, very innovative, very quality-orientated, and I was having a fantastic time there, fantastic career, great stepping stones, great training, but decided I need to get into technology. I thought it was probably exciting, um, and hence went to talk to HP, not expecting to be offered a job. And, and there and then they said, come work. I was like, oh, my goodness, I haven't actually planned to leave, but let me think about it, but did join them. And they um, quickly taught me that boxes were very, very grey and very boring mm. uh, and that the magic was in the software. So uh, quite quickly, they made me head of commercial and technical applications, which was fascinating because it was everything from CAD-CAM through to finance software, HR software, etc. And in those days, there were lots of issues with different software applications, and the issues were always about integration. And so when I got a sniff of SAP's ERP ideas, and the, the product didn't exist at the time, it was just this philosophy that the guys in Germany had. And and I worked with some great guys in HP in Germany. Mm. And we could see the potential and we thought, wow, if you could really get software that was all joined up end-to-end, what a difference it would make. And I would have to stop doing all these hideous meetings where people were saying, I can't get this financial software to work with this warehousing software, with this sales software, etc. So basically um i was asked if i would go and talk to sap uk about it and of course the md at the time was making all of his money from the r2 product yeah so he didn't want anything new mm. so i'd come from 3m originally everything was new invented in the last three years innovation mm. quality all of that and then um because the md in the uk didn't want to do anything with the new solution area and thought it would dilute his revenue stream from R2 he just tried to filibuster me so he gave me his people in his team who actually did say to him in fairness I remember them saying you're making a mistake trying to fob her off Um, and then I was back in the office and of course I was working with all the biggest software vendors and just literally as I said Hassel rang me and I didn't answer the phone someone else answered and they just shouted across the floor Chris, there's a bloke called Hasso on the phone from Germany for me. Excellent. They didn't know who he was. No one did at the time, really. Um, so I took the call and he said, oh, you know, what's happening? And I said, well, nothing, because your guys are just filibustering me. Yep. I can't work with people if they're not interested in actually making the magic happen. Um, and so 
pretty much straight away he rang them. The next thing we were then organising the launch of R3 into the UK market. The MD was a, a really nice guy, but not an innovative. He was a very mm. traditional sort of old-fashioned type of chap. And he said, oh, the launch will be a failure. We said, okay, it doesn't matter. We'll organise it. So I organised it with a, a brilliant events manager from HP and a brilliant young lady from SAP who wasn't marketing, wasn't events, but she was determined to help. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we organised the launch and um, it was so oversubscribed. We had to do the presentations two days in a row. Wow. So instead of just doing one set of launch presentations, we ended up doing two. And what was fascinating and we didn't expect was that all the big multinationals were the guys who came. We thought at the time it would be the SME market right. that would be interested. Yep. But actually the multinationals were really switched on and they came to see to hear and their thinking was we'll test this by putting it in some of our subsidiaries first. Right. And so it was a brilliant, brilliant approach. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. But on the day, what was also really funny was Hassel was supposed to be speaking and my events manager came to me and she said, one of the speakers hasn't arrived. Oh, They've no. sent someone else. You can imagine. Yeah. No, no, no. I can fear. The, you're the just fear about to stand up <laughs> with the UK MD. Um, we had the guys from Coopers and Librand in those days yep. wanted to present about um, business process re-engineering was the big topic, mm-hmm. horizontal processes, all that. Fantastic topics, fantastic audience. And one of your keynotes isn't there. He'd sent someone called Henning, who I'd never, ever met or spoken to. Um, and, I, and I just went over and said, oh, I understand, you know, you're going to speak. Um, thank you very much. It would have been nice if someone could have let me know mm. sooner than this morning. He said, oh, he's stuck on a boat. <laughs> and he'd been in some race, uh, some, you know, yacht race or something. As you do. As you do. Mm. And, of course, I do now understand having been on boats and not always being able to get messages to people that sometimes you can get lost at sea. Um, but it was brilliant. Henning was fantastic. The, and the launch, uh, both days, was a fantastic success. So it was good. And, and you know, I, I keep doing it with my children. You have to accept that these are the days where the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Mobile phones weren't as uh, advanced or even prevalent as they are Cloud. today. Cloud didn't Cloud. exist except in the sky. So I remember we oh, had a chap so. from Hewlett-Packard, really an, another great guy who has gone on to amazing things in the industry. And and he actually stood up and talked about um, how computers were going to change and cost so little and everything. Mm. But he, at that point, didn't even have any view of the world of cloud. And, of course, now that's all we talk about is cloud, waves. All of these things resonate back to actually probably sustainability and the environment. And, you know, it's all that terminology. Fascinating and, and such a great story. I, I haven't got any stories like that, but you know, to say Hasso called me is just great. Um, yeah, Hasso, if you're listening, by all means, give me a call. I'll send you one later, make my day, uh, make my, my year. Well, it's um, great that he's back, and you know, yeah. from my perspective, because if you think about it, I was working for a partner organization, and mm. that was one of the questions how come someone who worked for a partner organization did the launch of R3 mm. ERP into the UK market? Well, then we had that whole phase of, you know, the, the partners weren't so lovely in the eyes of, of SAP. But now we're back to that. And if mm. you think about it, 
you know, the words of then, you know, people like um, Petra Frenzel then came in to be managing director, very, very partner-orientated, um, and did a fantastic job. And, and actually, the first, I think, 27 um, programs of work we signed um, with SAP in the UK were all with Hewlett-Packard, uh, yeah. which was incredible. So, you know, when I actually left HP, HP had 80% market share of the SAP space, which is unbelievable because SAP had come from the mainframe IBM environment. Mm. And, of course, HP had come from the client-server, CAD, uh, yep. CAM-type environments were very different. Yeah, and I did a stretch uh, HP myself, and it was an incredibly you know, important part of their business. It massive. really was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Massive. And the benefits to them as an yeah. organisation yeah. Um, were, were great. If I may, I'd like to turn to your business, Pivot, yep. uh, Pivot Consulting. It, it has a very special place in the SAP market. And we were chatting before the podcast and I was, I was going to say, trying to find the right word. I mean, it, it, it's u- a unique position, I believe, in that, you. you know, with all of the big players out there, um, all of the acquisitions that those big players are making, certainly in the UK, we've seen a number of yeah, yeah, those organisations yeah. being yeah. acquired. Um, you have a reputation of running to the fire, not away from it yep. uh, in terms of uh, and also on S4, HANA. Yeah, yeah. How on earth did you you come to create Pivot? Because I think there's an interesting story behind that as well. Yeah, well, basically, um, I was actually out of the SAP market for three years and and doing various things, including some um, amazing charity work. Um, And actually what happened was two big multinational companies, uh, um, in essence, their CIOs contacted me and said, Um, you know, there's a gap in the market for a quality um, SAP partner. Um, We think you should set up um, a business, obviously because they had the experience of working with us previously um, when we had Diagonal. And it wasn't part of my plan, um, but, you know, they were very serious conversations. Um, And so I thought, well, I just need to test this. Other companies, organisations were talking to me saying, come join us. And um, and my children, um, you know, they, they were school-aged, so I couldn't leave them mm. um, and go travelling or anything. And, and, and they said, mum, we can't eat any more fairy cakes. You've got to go back to work. Um, I'm good at making fairy cakes, I'd like to say. <laughs> but um, so um, I went and talked to Gartner and a few other people and they said, yeah, we think there is a gap in the market mm. um, and, and, yeah, you should set up. So instantly we had two multinationals, um, a very big multinational organisations as clients for us um, and, all of, and all of the work was basically um, doing some of the new clever portal mm-hmm. integration um, and and even in in one instance, we were deploying a commercial and a manufacturing solution that we built all in standard SAP, and we were deploying that out to something like about fifteen different countries. And then it just went on because what happens is, um, you know, we we built a very specialist team. Everyone is handpicked. All of the all of our team come from industry. Mm-hmm. Every one of us has actually delivered. SAP ourselves in our own businesses so mm-hmm. we've all come from being in the client's shoes yep 
Um, so we, you know, we have that empathy. We have that experience. We it, it's real life experience, um, and 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 that's how it started. So those two multinationals got bought. The guys that bought them took us with them, um, and you know something like you know we've worked in something like over seventy different countries now delivering SAP. And that's really interesting because you 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 were just talking there, and I was just uh, you know sort of big track record in, in both small consultancies end user and and um you know big big consultancies as well and one of the challenges in big consultancies is if you try to do something new for the first time yeah there's a big red flag yeah because it's a risk yeah okay but i noticed when you were talking you were kind of almost saying that with gusto right you know we had this to do it was brand new we were trying to work this through yeah is that something that you're consciously managing as a as a business and what's your kind of approach to that then Definitely. So if you think about, again, back to the days of 3M, they said every problem is an opportunity. And that's the statement and mindset that we take into everything. Mm. Every challenge, every risk, you know, how do you do something different, clever, innovative? Um, and, and and now when we look at what we're doing, quite often what we're doing is a first for people. Mm. And it can be a first in terms of a new technology. Um, it can be a first in terms of actually this project needs to be rescued and we need to do things differently. It can be a first, and we've got one program at the moment where we know that um, you know they're working with um, a global systems integrator, but the capability of the global system in- integrator needs to be augmented and added to with specialist Fiori, specialist yep. project management. So really I would say that people don't come to us because they want hundreds of consultants typically they come to us because they need something definitely delivered whether it be a rescue whether it be something new um, and it's got to be successful when we do it so every project we do the track record is 100% success I think that's unheard of in the industry Mm. that's because of the brilliance of the uh, team that we have but it's also the brilliance of the demand of the resources that we ask for the client so we do everything with the client Mm. we don't do to we do with and the whole philosophy is together we do more we achieve more you get better results and the whole point about technology whether it be gray boxes whether it be software whether it be the cloud whatever it is unless the people in the business adopt the technology it's a waste of time and space and that's the whole philosophy so we don't talk about agile we don't talk about waterfall we don't need to talk about any of them that's not the point the Mm. point is it's the results that are delivered at the end of the day and those are business results, whether it's improving processes to reduce cost, improve efficiencies, or doing something new for a new channel to market, etc. So it's interesting, it's exciting, it's different every single day. And it's amazing too, because obviously, you know, we're a small organisation, but we work with the world's biggest and some of the most prestigious names. Um, and we love that. Um, but they don't come and buy 150 consultants, they come and buy you know, a small team that will definitely deliver. So obviously I mentioned earlier on that, that we've seen a lot of acquisitions of, uh, let's face it, you know, smaller boutique, for yeah, yeah. a better word, SAP yeah. consultancy yeah. in the UK. I'm sure yeah. that's being replicated across the world at the moment as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's your view and what's driving that? I think it's timing. So I think... Um, you know, some of the questions and comments with regard to the adoption of some of the newer 
S4 solutions, IBP, SER, the different technologies within SAP, you have to have the specialist skills, um, you know, and they need to be able to work with the business. So it's not necessary, it's not something you can just code offshore. Mm. This is actually getting business adoption and working with the people and understanding the business processes. So when we do, for example, ACR, we have qualified accountants who are SAP consultants. Mm-hmm. And so they understand the changes in, in compliance, etc., for tax, and but they understand how the SAP technology works and yep. how to apply, whether it be OSS notes, what's standard, what needs to be configured or not configured. If you don't have the depth of skills, then people revert to bespoke developments. Bespoke developments lead to non-standard software, lead mm. to non-standard processes, lead to nightmares with upgrades, patching, etc. So it's the depth of skills, I think, in part that the guys are buying. I think in part they're buying the depth of skills because of the timing of the market that, yes, there's not been a tidal wave of adoption yet, but the tidal wave is coming. Yeah. And, you know, I think COVID has changed things big time. So the conversations now around the new technologies in SAP, it, it, I don't want to say S4 and I don't want to say S4 HANA because it's much more than that. Yeah. And I think there is a confusion. So, you know, the terminology rise is great, but what comes behind that terminology, that SAP need to get it right mm. because, you know, I mean, if you're writing a document for a client and, and you're writing... S4, HANA, IBP, ACR, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've you've taken up a whole line before you've even actually got to the point of the document. Yeah. So it's like, please, can you just give us one name? Yeah. Whether it's S4, like the days of R3 or yep. whatever. What is that one name? Mm. And then what is the landscape that we're talking about for that particular client? And the big thing I think also is that there's been a proliferation of different software applications so if you think about it right at the beginning, one of the the beautiful pieces that we were working with was everything was integrated yep. um, and it covered different processes. Now with most organizations that we talk to, if you talk to the multinationals, I would bet they've got something like about 1,500 different software applications running in their organizations. Yeah. How joined up are they? Are they integrated? Can they be integrated? How much effort is involved in doing that? You know, now with also the, you know, the bespoke coding that's gone on in various applications, there's a big opportunity to simplify landscapes, to reduce costs of support, maintenance, mm. etc., and actually leverage some of the newer solutions which are much quicker, much better, um, much more agile, adaptable for what the business needs. So things have moved a long way. Yeah, and I've often said that I think um, the whole S4 debate, the, the the value in S4 as a platform is not in the S4 platform itself. It's, it's what it enables downstream. 100% agree. It's, yeah, don't do the business case for S4, do the business case for the business. Yep. And again, I think that's where, you know, the pivot, the balance of business and technology mm. You know, and, and quite often in a lot of programs, what we say is we're just the secret ingredient. Mm. It's not about pivot. It's about what that client organization has achieved as a result of using those technologies. So 
in in a in a market that, that you know we've seen lots of acquisitions and 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 pivot they're fiercely independent still how do how do you manage that you know uh, i you know are you are you batting off uh, and clearly you know you, you can't talk about sort of you know sensitive information but you know i'm just curious as an organization the focus from you and the sense i'm getting is fiercely independent you know the value is that secret source that you bring and and that would get destroyed by uh, an acquisition you can't say that it would get destroyed by an acquisition but what we can say is we don't need to sell so yep. why would we sell yeah yeah no good point good point now um when we talk about the the, the market the s4 market we're talking about the kind of the, the wave coming along and, and i'm as guilty as the next person because i remember speaking to i think it was martin hess over at hp in 2015 maybe 13 saying there's a tsunami coming you know everyone's going to adopt this and yeah. clearly they didn't yeah um but i think you and i both agree that, that that is now beginning to happen definitely i mean what's your view on on that and the the whole 2027 and where clients are and you mentioned covid in the mix you know, i'm just interested in your your take on that at the moment i think it's really exciting now i think it's quite um complex as well so um one of the things we were saying is there's so many applications in people's landscapes, there's so many options, there's so many approaches, there's so many tools. Um, it's quite difficult to work out what is a best approach. Mm. Um, and and we, we joke about, you know, we work on Greenfield, we work on Bluefield, we work on Brownfield. And what I've been saying to one of our clients in particular is you need a pink field. Um <laughs> And I think that, you know, sort of um, when you look and you understand and you see what you can achieve, it's amazing. Mm. And that's great because that's how it felt at the beginning of R3. It's mm. amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, there's so much. And, and whether it be because of compliance, whether, it, you know, the tax authorities in every country are much smarter now. Yeah. Um, and and let's all pay tax. We should because it, it pays for the hospitals, the doctors, the roads, and everything. Um, whether it be because um, people want to do e-commerce and, and direct to consumer, whether it be because um, you need um, to be able to do more with your data and think about how much data is being created in the last mm. um, couple of years and, and social media and the impact of that. All of these elements. So many things have changed so much. Um, the potential is just outstanding. And I think at one point before COVID, people were saying, oh, it's a false deadline if you've got to do it by 2025, whenever. And of course, they've moved the deadline. It's 2027. It is complex because there's so many things involved in the in the journey to S4. But actually, I think if you work with the right people, and I think SAP have done some great things to help people on the journey, mm. Um, if you work with the right people, you can get a sensible, logical journey that best fits you, and it does have to best fit you because everybody has now got a different starting point. Um, it's just about working with the right people and together achieving more. So we, I, I said at the very beginning of this that, you know, you, as an organisation, you've got a reputation of running to the fire, not away from it. Um we were chatting previously about the number of S4 trouble projects you've been brought in to mm -hmm. um, resolve um, and, and take a handle, take care of. 
you know, what's what's your view? Is, are, are there common mistakes being made out there that that clients could kind of learn from, or is it just uh, it, it varies from client to client? I'm just curious on that. The challenges vary from client to client and project to project, but actually, in reality, I would say the mistakes are pretty much the same as they've been all the time. There's no change really. You know, you've got to have the right skills. If you don't have the right skills, then you go off down the wrong track and it takes longer and it costs more. Mm. Um, And those can be the right consulting skills, the right appetite in a business to do more, can be the right project manager, the right program director, the right business sponsorship. It's nothing new. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes there's too much of a desire to win a project without doing hard validation of can I successfully deliver this Mm. so I think in you know and then that comes back to how are people measured so from our perspective our measurement is a hundred percent successful project so Mm -hmm. if we don't think we can successfully deliver a project we have to say thanks but no thanks I was talking to someone who's been in the SAP world for a long time the other day and he said I remember doing a fantastic meeting with you with a very 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 big brand company and he said, and I remember you saying to them, I didn't remember saying this, but this is what he told me. He said, I remember you saying to them, um, it's been fantastic meeting you. It's been really interesting talking to you. It's been lovely learning about your business, but thanks, guys, we won't be working with you. He said, I fell off my chair. I was like, I don't remember the conversation. He said, you just said to them, it's not going to be possible to, to, live, to deliver what you want. So unless you change your approach... Uh, you need to go and find someone else. And that's a really tough, you know, a a tough decision to make and position to take and to deliver it because I think we're all all in kind of mode, which is, okay, we're here to help you um, and we're here to tell you why we're the best um, partner for you, Mr. Client. And actually it's rare to actually turn around and say, do you know what, actually? I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of, consultancies will get into a qualification stage quite early on where they'll look at something and say, can we do this, can we not? But actually to engage in a client and get into a conversation, get to that point and then say, we're the wrong client, you know, we're, we're the wrong partner for you. Um, or, frankly, you know, this is doomed to failure. Yeah, well, because we don't measure ourselves on anything but success, we can do it and we have to do it. Right, and that's really interesting because you're not you're not taking a traditional approach which would say, I have a, a team that I need to hit at a certain utilisation, I have a certain margin that I've got to make, I've got a certain et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not necessarily uh, targeting myself against a, a net n- number of new clients. You're actually just saying, if we're going to engage, it has to be a successful project. That's right. And if you focus on success, then all of those other KPIs follow behind. And um, what's really interesting in that, that you're actually happy to take on significant risk, you know, sit, sitting the other side of the fence in, a, you know, in, in, in other consultancies where they would look at this and say, anything new that we've done, you know, have we done it before, um, you know, and if the answer is no, then there's a huge risk. And it's not to say they wouldn't do it, um, but there would be a big risk with a huge price tag put against it and a lot of nervousness. But actually you're saying, no, we're, we're up for that, uh, but we're up for it and recognising that, you know, it's new and it can be done. We'll find a way to do it, but, but it's 
really at the, the outset of being absolutely crystal clear that we're going to be successful in this? Crystal clear that we'll be successful and crystal clear that if it is something that is particularly challenging, that we're sharing that this is why it's challenging and this is what we think needs to be done. It's honesty and integrity. Mm. So it's not, you know, I'm, I mean, one of my pet hates is change requests. And it really, really disappoints me when I see, you know, and, and I've, I've had IT directors ring me and finance directors ring me and say, we have a project, we're six weeks from go live, um, and the SI's just asked us for another million pounds. If I go to the board, I will be fired. Mm. Could you send me a team of 10 people on Monday to help me? And I've gone, no, I'll send you one person They'll work out what you need to go live successfully in six weeks' time. And we'll tell you, honestly, if it's one person, 20 people, if it really needs to be configured, if it needs to be coded, what really is the answer? And in that particular instance, it was fantastic. We sent one person in. We said, actually, having done a few days of research, um, looking into the system, looking at what was being recommended and proposed, we said, this can be done in... Um, you know, 10 days. Um, You don't need 10 consultants. You just need one person who can do these things in 10 days. This is how much it will cost um, and we're confident it will work. And then, you know, six months down the line to get the phone call from that director saying, I've been promoted in the group and I'm just ringing you to say thank you. That's great. Because it's because of you and that project. And I was like, wow, you know, normally yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that phone call you get. <laughs> and and also, I mean, you know, somebody who cut their teeth in project and program management, uh, you know, did the PMI route, that, that there is that focus by um, the other large SIs. And I, I'm not making, I'm not calling anyone out because they're, they're, they're all the same and I work for quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, that mantra is you are the project program manager and actually managing a tight scope and change requests are part of de-risking the project, in effect. It's stopping it getting out of control. And it's quite interesting you taking, actually, a subtle, different approach to that, which is, no, actually, it's about what we need to do to make sure this programme is a success. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. actually, you know, those those things need to be done to make them a success. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. that could be the difference between uh, a fantastic programme and yeah. something that's mediocre or doesn't hit the... the, the uh, the bell at all yeah and, that, and, and that's where you come back to as a client what are you buying mm. you know and, and and so what we're saying is you know we create jobs we make people self-sufficient in the business we make them you know have more exciting careers and and mm. working lives we equip them with the technologies to be able to do the stuff themselves internally they, we don't make them dependent upon us we don't do support that it's not an ams type play um, and of course, I feel for you know you meet some amazing project managers and program directors, but they get given um, a fixed price contract to deliver, and of course that then for the supplier becomes all about maximising profit. Mm. And so, what do you do? You reduce the scope, you reduce the quality, yep. maybe um, you re- reduce the number of tasks that you have to do, and of course that adds more risk. So, you know, you can see, and and then you see the other thing is where 
you see people push everything into, well, actually, that wasn't what we agreed. It's a change request. And then the change request has to go through a decision-making process. So we've seen change requests in some organisations where, you know, the the um, quote has been for 90 days and we've done it in five minutes. That's shocking. Well, that is. But that's that is. not to do with the task. That's to do with the decision-making process, the this commercial contract. And, and, and then you feel for the guys because... You know, quite often the person who has the responsibility for delivering didn't have the authority to make the decision as to who would deliver. Right. And so then, you know, you're into procurement and being forced down a specific route, which might not be, you know, at the beginning it looks like the most cost-effective route, but that's not always the case at the end. So one one element that we talk about, your, your team is predominantly all onshore. Yeah. And we talked about yeah. global resourcing models. Now, yeah. clearly, they play a really, really important part in uh, a lot of implementations, um, regardless of whether they're SAP, any ERP program, or, frankly, application at the moment. What, what's your view on, on that? I have a number of views. I have... Don't um, hold back, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm from the north. So. Yeah, go on, go on. Just, just hit it with it. And I'll, 50% of me is Greek, just, and the I'll Greeks just, always tell you. I'm just leave, li- lining up the bleep button. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the first instance, I absolutely understand why offshore models came into being, mm. because um, if you think about how you're measured and if you have big targets to achieve and minimum value projects to achieve, Mm. there was a a phase where people were doing continuous improvement as opposed to, you know, going out and buying a complete new suite of applications and spending millions on licenses and millions on um, services. So you can understand that, you know, some of the guys said, right, it's time to move to least cost delivery models. Mm. Um, So you can understand that. So what did the guys offshore do? What you do is you send them a specification, they send back the results, you QA the specification, they either change, amend, or accept, whichever. But that's the old-fashioned way of doing things. Yep. That's what we did before we had SAP ERP. Mm. And the whole point was to save time and money and streamline processes and to configure there and then And that's why it comes back to the importance of the skills. If you put my team in front of someone with an S4 HANA system, you don't have to get them to write it down on a piece of paper. They'll sit with you on the system and do it there and then. And that's the big difference. So you become completely immersed in it. And I would say that in our experience, it just takes time and it costs more if you're shipping everything offshore. The day rate is much cheaper, but actually the time is much longer. And I can relate to that. I mean, I'm going back now. I know, I know it's hard looking at me, Chris, that, um, but, but I do remember in my early um, R3 days as a FICO consultant sitting in a... You pro- would have sat with the finance oh, no, no, team. No, I, yeah, yeah, but I sat with the finance team. We, had a, we would have a project room, yeah. um, you know, so uh, I can remember working at Abacus Lighting. Uh, that was one of, one of ours. And, um, you know, there was a project room uh, that that was appended to the the main shop yeah. floor, yeah. Um, and we would sit there and we would be configuring and we would be turning around to 
the MM consultant, the SD yeah. consultant, and we talked yeah. about it. But because of that, what would happen is that you started off life learning all about FICO, but then before you knew it, you were doing a bit of MM configuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were yeah. going on those courses. So you yeah. actually start to get quite skilled. And, you know, those individuals. So there was that inherent value that yeah, you yeah. built up yeah. being sort of, I wouldn't say multidisciplined in terms of your approach, but you knew enough about how it all hung together. But that's really key now. So if you think about it, why are they buying, you know, the the specialist consultancies? Because mm. you're bringing back in the specialism. And what we call them is hybrid consultants or full stack consultants because they understand all of the processes, they understand mm. the technology, they know what's standard, they know what isn't standard. And if you think about S4 HANA and the associated technologies, it's all about back to standardization, back to best practice. Best practice has moved on because things in business and the world have changed as always. But we're back where we were at the beginning of R3, standardization, best practice. And so, and, and this is, again, this, this, apologies to listeners if it sounds like reminiscent street or whatever. But, you know, one of the... the, the, the uh, criticisms levied at R3 at the time was, you know, I, I have many clients telling me, say, oh, best practice, best practice for who? Best practice for somebody in Germany. That's not how my business works. So there's a lot of focus about high high degree of customization because what they were trying to do was morph their, the way they worked and get SAP to morph to that. Um, and actually where you look today, and you, I agree, you've Customers are always saying to me that I need I need to get back to standard as possible, you know, out of the box, vanilla, yeah, yeah, call it yeah. what you will. Yeah. I want to reduce the TCO. The difference today is that because of the advent of the internet, yeah. which, you know, let's face it, I know, I know you wouldn't believe it looking at us, but, you know, in the early days it didn't really exist. Yeah. So how businesses operated, well, they could do their own thing effectively. Today, a lot of those core processes are pretty homogenous from one business to another because the internet has forced that yeah, yeah. there is a standard way of yeah, yeah. you know raising a po releasing yeah, yeah. a po yeah, matching yeah. a po yeah. all of those sorts of things so it actually is now forced businesses i think to actually take a well we, we can standardize and we need to get rid of all of this custom code well i would say um beyond that that two things one is that if you worked with the right people they would challenge and you know, and I remember mm. doing the conversations with Bayer, the Body Shop, mm. um, and and challenging them and saying, you know, I know you've been doing this for ten years and you're brilliant at your job. Um, let's just look at some other ways and ideas and things. And then you see the lights come on in the people's eyes. Mm. And then if you think about, you know, in those instances, in the in the Bayer example, what you're doing is you're challenging the individual with the system in front of them and saying, have you thought about this? Look at that. Because if you think about it with SAP, there are lots of different ways of doing Mm. standardization and best practice. Mm. They're all standard and all best practice. And then I remember in the, when we did the first program, um, the global uh, SAP program for the body shop in that instance, pre pre pivot days, you know, it was going to be the first use of, um, BW, mm-hmm. the first use of some of the other technologies. So we worked with SAP in Germany. Um, we were completely transforming the business. The body shop guys wanted to change change it from a manufacturing company to a retail business. It was a fantastically successful project. It was a massive amount of transformation in their business processes, in their business mentality, 
in in their technologies because they'd had the standalone applications um, and you could do it. So the business has got to have the appetite to do it. So Mm. the two things is make sure you're working with people who have the depth of skills, Mm. the hybrid, the full stack, whatever you want to call them, the depth of skills to be able to challenge and do it with you so you take on board those skills. And, And the second thing is make sure the business has the appetite to do it. If the business has the appetite, you can make the magic happen. And in some respects, you know, if we go back to the conversation we're having a little earlier in terms of S4 being the enabler for these new digital technologies in order for you to do business in a radically different, more efficient, better way, those things haven't really changed from the R3 days, have they? Because customers effectively in the R3 days were coming at it, understanding that there was a new capability, a new possibility but not really being aware of the technology and that's almost the same today you know customers will talk to you about iot sensors on yeah, production yeah, floors yeah, and stuff, yeah. but they're not quite sure you know is that stat you know is, is that really mature yet can yeah. i use it how are other customers using it yeah so it does feel like we've come full circle it feels like full circle but also massive strides as well mm. because if you think about some of the things that you can do today weren't possible, mm. you know, when, when we first launched R3 into the UK market. It, what seemed magic was the whole business process re-engineering piece then. Yeah. But actually now it's all the other elements, the internet of everything, mm. the data, the possibilities now. I mean, I think are more exciting than ever. So I'm conscious of time, Chris, but in terms of pivot, what, what next for Pivot? Is it is it you know more more of the same cutting your teeth on on more S four um, engagements? I I don't talk about it as being S four engagements. I talk about it making the magic happen with businesses, and that's the exciting thing about what we do. So you know the fact that we've worked with the mine for twenty years, the fact we've worked with the food company for twenty five years, the fact that we work with one of the world's most prestigious banks. Every sector, every day, every industry is a different challenge. It's fascinating. It's exciting. We love problem solving, whether it be how do we do something different? How do we go to market differently? How do we reduce costs? How we how do we take advantage of these new technologies? That's what we like is the challenge, and that's what we'll continue to be up for. So as long as we have the appetite for the challenge and there are clients out there who want to do the right things, we're happy. Well, Chris, listening to your passion and, and, and uh, you know excitement around it, I, I'm absolutely sure there'll be uh, you know hundreds in in, <laughs> in the in the years to come. And uh, and and I think um, before I close out, I will just say that um, I think your idea of maybe doing a some form of um, ad hoc, maybe even a Christmas podcast about some of the stories about. SAP uh, <laughs> SAP conferences and uh, what individuals have got up to. Uh, m- m- maybe maybe that's a separate revenue stream. They're telling us to not not divulge. Those, there are some great stories. There are some great stories, and and you know we've worked with some fantastic, amazing people, and continue to work with some amazing people. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.